hosted on dimlywit.com. My name is Dr. Daryl Appleton, and this is a very special feelings and other F-words episode because we are getting into the holiday spirit, friends. We are talking about festive family feuds. And you might be like, Daryl, what's the difference? What's the difference between festive and non-festive feuds? And that is because at this time of year, when we are all gathered together to celebrate, this is a special type of interfamily belligerence. It really is. There's good food, there's comfort, there's joy, and then there's usually the sidebar helping of, why don't you go settle down with a nice girl your own age? Or you'd be so pretty if you just worked out a little bit more. That's what makes holidays so special. It's the little jabs from the people you love most. Now, we see this depicted in Hollywood, Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, like see all this stuff like we we know we know that art imitates life and this time of year the internet is literally ripe for the picking of lists and blogs on how to avoid conflict with your family or how to mitigate difficult conversations around the table of you know thanksgiving or whatever you celebrate i'm always getting requests from journalists at this time of how can we have better relationships around the holidays? Or what's some ways to have better boundaries when you're with a family member you don't like? And it's the same every year. Like we're just, we're not getting better from it. We're just trying to survive it. Now, listen, at big gatherings with family, it doesn't always breed contempt. Like that's not what I'm saying. When I'm saying family feud, I'm not talking about Hatfield McCoy type stuff. But what I am saying is, especially around the holidays, especially with family, this type of interaction can breed festering emotional wounds. So stuff that you're already feeling self-conscious about, stuff that you're already questioning yourself or trying to heal, that stuff is the stuff that's being jabbed and poked at because, and it hurts a little bit more. It doesn't feel as good as it would from maybe even a friend challenging you on it or something like that. And that's because research has shown that three quarters of us have at least one, at least one family member that annoys us. Now, moment of silence. I'm sure that person just popped into your head, right? The person that annoys you most around family gatherings or the one that you just, you just don't want to see. We all have that person. Now, if you don't, great. That's amazing. But three quarters of us, three, 75% of us do. So respect the majority here. And I think that when you think about it, right? It's not just me and the one person that annoys me. They might have somebody else that annoys them. And my brother might have somebody that annoys him. And my husband might have somebody that annoys him. So it, statistically, there's a bunch of people that are a little bit prickly around somebody else who's sitting at that table, right? And these minor jabs and annoying ticks that seem like harmless from friends can prompt screaming fights with relatives. There's just something about family that makes this particularly irritating. And I dug into some of the research of why, why, how, where, when, why specifically with family, specifically around this time, 
is this happening? Now, the first theory was Freud. We have to we can't talk about family without talking about Freud and Freud gets a bad reputation. He's not all penises and, you know, wanting to marry your mother. He's really not. But Freud said that those who are closest in similarity tend to fight the most bitterly. And he called this the narcissism of small differences. And we tend to. Instead of valuing the differences between us and others that are similar to us, we tend to look more at the differences. And to this day, this theory is actually used to explain the factors behind certain civil wars of why people who are so similar go to war. And it's usually about the smaller stuff. And it absolutely applies to families. If you look at politics, like people who love each other, who agree on 99% of the things might fight bitterly over that 1% of, of stuff that they don't agree on. And I'm not saying that it's big or small or that you should or shouldn't. I'm just highlighting how such a small percentage in the overwhelming majority can absolutely cause a ton of conflict. Now, there was a lecturer uh, in psychology from Southern Methodist University in Dallas that his name's Chris Logan. And he said that he, he was explaining that with our families, if there's a lot of overlapping ca characteristics and a high desire for uniqueness, we tend to focus on the points that make us different, you know, kind of confirming what Freud said. When we're sitting around the table, eating the same food, celebrating the same event, trying just to like justify our life choices to each other, we tend to focus on the things that make us different. And some of us are trying to avoid some of that judgment from those around us. And in a lot of instances, we tend to see differences that others may have as a reflection on us. Like if your parents are homophobic, say, right? There might be something there that you feel embarrassed about, be, even though you're not, even though that's not the way you live your life and you see it as a reflection on yourself and it just might be too much for you to even bear. And that's a very like aggressive difference. It can be even smaller than that. The next theory is about social allergens. And this idea of social allergens is really interesting. It's kind of like, why does my uncle need to tell the same joke over and over? The first time I could like politely laugh, but it's been 30 years in a row. Like, why? Why? And there's actually a book called Annoying, and it's the all about the science of what bugs us. And the author describes these social tendencies or these tendencies as social allergens. Some things, small things that don't elicit much of a reaction at first, but absolutely can lead to emotional explosions with repeated exposure. And it's interesting because he says that conflict is often triggered by a repetition of small behaviors. It's very rarely large ones. When I think about Jimmy, my husband, and snoring, right? It's kind of what comes to mind. It's not that he's snoring that one time. It's the fourth hour in a row he's snoring or the 17th night in a row that it's happening that I'm up. And it's not annoying that he snores. It's annoying that it continues on all the time. So annoyances can be major triggers of relationship conflicts. It doesn't even need to be a fight. So I love this idea of social allergens, the things that you just kind of become allergic to because like you just can't stomach it anymore because you're just so worn down. 
it's it really is a uh, it really is like an interesting thing. Right. And it can range. Small allergens, small social allergens, small annoyances can be like somebody who sucks their teeth at the dinner table or, you know, somebody that's checking their Instagram feed mid conversation with you. And they surface during the holidays because it feels like intrusive behavior. It's kind of like when your grandmother is like, I know a lot of great doctors. I go to a lot of great specialists. You should really settle down. Can I give them your number? And it's the 75th time she said it. It's now highlighting the fact that you are not attached or maybe they maybe you are. Maybe your husband's sitting right next to you or your wife or whatever, and they just don't like that person. I've seen that happen. Not personally. I've heard it in sessions, which I find um, wildly interesting to always unpack with my clients after the holidays. And the thing like unlike with friends, right? You can't ignore your grandmother. I guess you could, but say she's staying with you for the week and until she gets her flight back to New Jersey, like you're kind of stuck with that behavior. It's not like a friend. You can be like, yeah, yeah, Jim, I'm just going to skedaddle over. Thanks for nothing. So there is something that makes these little quirks feel so much bigger when they're present with our family and under our roof. Now, the third thing is passive aggression. Passive aggressive behavior is literally at the root cause of most conflicts. Like I am willing to put money on if we looked at conflicts, there is some flame of passive aggression that is getting fueled. Just there is just a pipeline of gas just fueling the passive aggressive flame into that conflict. It's like, oof. It's probably one of the more toxic, subtle things that we are all capable of and do and downplay. Now, passive aggression, for those of you who don't know, is a form of communication. And when we look at communication, there are four main ways we communicate. We communicate aggressively, which is like, fuck you, get out of my way. I'm going to punch you in the face. That's aggressive. Maybe not in Jersey, but it's aggressive. There's passive of like, This person's literally stepping on my foot, but I might, I just don't want to say anything. I'm just going to close my eyes and hold my breath and focus on my center uh, to make the pain go away. I would rather die than say something. There is passive aggressive behavior or communication, which is a combination of I am aggressive to you in a very passive way. So something like, I totally love your sweater. I would absolutely wear it out if I was trying to get a hooker to get into bed with me. Like, I know, again, aggressive, aggressive, but this is the thing that can either come off as a joke and it's not funny, or people tend to say things like, I was just kidding, lighten up, or like, that's not how I meant it. With passive aggressive behavior, we don't know what you're actually trying to say. Are you telling me you actually like my sweater? Are you telling me that I look like a John trying to pick up hookers? Like, help me understand where the line is. Or things like, You know, mother-in-laws are famous for this. And we talked about this in our first episode of in-laws, you know, things like, well, I guess if that's how you want to make your lasagna, I suppose we can go without, you know, the the family recipe that's been ongoing for the last 400 years. It's not a big deal. Like that's passive aggressive. Um, So passive aggression absolutely fuels these flames and it is a common culprit and it breeds contempt 100 100 
Now, and after this, after the break, after we go through our write-in, we'll talk about ways to diffuse this. We'll dig into all the blogs and what they have to say, because there's some good stuff in there. And to be fair, some of it's the stuff that I've put out. So yes, I stand by what I said. Uh, but it is interesting because I think taking out the passive aggression, if I were to pick one of these things, taking out the passive aggressiveness we would be able to handle the annoyances better. We would be able to handle the differences more. And then we'd be able to handle this fourth one, which is sibling rivalries a little bit. And this is the fourth and last theory of why we have festive family feuds. We think that sibling rivalry stops at childhood, but it doesn't. It really doesn't. Studies have found that siblings, adult siblings, can experience conflict or rivalry well beyond childhood well beyond living in close quarters or close conditions with your parents. And it makes sense as children why we have rivalries, because you're competing for limited resources, limited uh, attention, living in really close conditions, having different personalities or being eccentric in your own way and your sibling is not. But they continue on as adults. And research found that the most common ways that siblings resolve fights, and this makes me laugh, the most common way siblings resolve fights is that they walk away and don't talk about it. Because usually they don't have to see each other again, necessarily anytime soon. Or when they do, things are okay. Uh, my brother and I are not like this. Um, we actually do talk about things probably because that is just in my wheelhouse as a therapist and I demand that everybody talk about everything even if they don't want to or if there's not a problem so he's probably over there like shaking his head being like I just wish Daryl would walk away I wish she would just walk away from me and never talk about it again but that just won't ever happen sorry Eric it's just not going to happen and I think that there's something to be said about if you're having sibling rivalry or if there is friction between your siblings, you know, it it hurts the the entire relationship of the event, you know, coming together, especially if you guys don't see each other a lot. And there's also this other element, right? And they call it priming. It's like priming our significant other almost in the car on the way over. So it almost be like, I just can't wait for Jack to say something. Watch, watch. I bet you he's going to bring up the fact that he makes more money than I do. And then when Jack does that at the dinner table, you can look over at your significant other being like, see, told you so. And then all of a sudden you're already on guard for the thing that you probably know is going to happen, but you've already decided it's not okay with you and it's going to cause a fight. And that's what this like priming does. Because it it allows us to be more likely to spar over the dinner table as grownups. The other thing with holidays in a entirety, right, is that we know people are usually at their best, statistically, when they're not drinking alcohol, when they're eating more nutritious foods, when they have good night's sleeps, and when they're exercising. Guess what is not happening during the holidays? People are drinking more. People are eating more sugary foods. They're not sleeping. They're not exercising. They're not at their best. And research says that this is one of the main ways that old patterns of relationships can return, which makes sense to me, right? Thinking about when you are burnt out from work, maybe you're a parent, you're burnt out from your kids. Maybe you are you know, in a really bad place in space. Maybe you're sick. 
we tend to snap more at our significant others or our families or hurt the people that love us. We hurt the ones we love when we're in this more, I'm going to use the clinical term vulnerable, but the reality of it is like, you're being an asshole when we're in this more like vulnerable and aggressive and primal state where we're just in like attack mode. So all of that combined makes sense why families during festivities are just ripe for the picking. It is just pure content. Like I can't wait to see all the TikToks and reels about people who flip over the the dinner table. Like, you know, it's going to happen. You know, somebody's going to film some family member punching a hole in the wall. And it's not funny. It's like it's ruins a holiday and it creates like really bad core memories. But at the end of the day, like it happens so much. And we're going to see some highlights of that in the story um, when we get back. And hopefully I'll give you some tips and tricks that can help you just have some willpower and let you outlast some of your crazy family members. All of that when we return from our break. Welcome back to Feelings and Other F-Words. This a story that was sent to me, I think it it segues perfectly from what we were talking about and all of these theories of why families fight at the holidays into our final piece of what the F to do about it. So thank you for being such a bridge in a storm, friend. All right, here it goes. Um, and this is a story about his last Thanksgiving. My parents were hosting and they invited the whole family including my aunt, my mom's sister, who has been on and off again dating a guy the family doesn't approve of. He's been to jail, and he and my aunt have had a lot of drama, including other women he got pregnant. She also brought him and his two-year-old son, who his ex had been the mother of. Also, my cousin brought a new girlfriend, which bothered a lot of the family. He has another girl every few months, it seems. So I could tell it was awkward from the start. I I love that the scene is so painted. Like it's like a Norman Rockwell uh, like scene of just drama. You're setting the stage beautifully, friend. So I could tell it was awkward from the start. There was a bunch of snippiness. Then my cousin broke up with the girl he brought at the event. Apparently he found out she'd slept with one of his friends and it bothered him. Plus, there was a good bit of political argument happening at dinner, as there always is. I just kind of let it all roll off. I paid the drama no mind, and I sat with my grandparents and caught up with them, listened to some of their stories, played with my nieces, taking funny pictures with them, caught up with my other cousins, dug into the food, enjoyed the boozy eggnog, and had a pretty nice time regardless, which, sir, good for you. There were a lot of people there I was happy to see, and I didn't want to engage with the awkwardness or drama, and I just wanted to have a chill time. And I genuinely did by just focusing on the people I was happy to talk to and the good food, etc. Almost everyone made an excuse to leave very soon after dinner. Right. Exactly. As one does. And my parents were pissed that my aunt and cousin had ruined Thanksgiving, that it was embarrassing how everyone had left soon after eating. I wanted to look on the bright side. I said I had a nice time. The food was amazing. I was happy to see my grandparents, my cousins, their young kids. It wasn't that bad. My mom was mad. She said it was childish of me to, quote, put my head in the sand and pretend everything was sunshine and rainbows. And it was also embarrassing for me to dig into the food, sit back with a drink and watch all the shit unfold like it was a TV drama. 
I said I wasn't trying to watch for fun. I was trying to enjoy my meal and not get involved in the bickering myself. But my mom wasn't happy with that. She thought I was being mocking somehow. And my dad was upset with me, too. He said it was disrespectful of me to reach in and start serving myself seconds when everyone at the table had stopped eating because of the argument. (laughs) I feel like that's such a dad contribution. Mom's like, you're not here for me emotionally. You're not even supportive of this. And dad's like, how dare you go back for seconds when everyone's arguing? Um, That is that makes me laugh. My dad also thought it was idiotic of me to be taking silly photos and little videos with my nieces when an argument was unfolding in the same room. Nobody wants to be on camera on their worst days. And I said I wasn't trying to film them. I was trying to keep the kids entertained. And if anybody showed up in the background, it was totally by accident. My dad said I was being stupid and tone deaf. But honestly, I feel like my parents are overreacting. Now, if that's not family drama just summed up, I don't know what is, right? Maybe this guy is like, really trying to film stuff for his TikTok and get his like count up. But maybe he was really just trying to make the most of it. And it's hard. It, everything that we talked about is kind of in play there, right? You have people with their annoyances. You got you got people breaking up live time over mashed potatoes and the cranberry sauce. Like, I mean, I'd watch that episode. I totally would. But when we're talking about how to survive the holidays, this guy's got it right. He really does. He really has it right. This is a great example of kind of what to do. And friend, I don't agree with your parents. I don't I think your parents are emoting because they're frustrated and you're the closest one there. But no, I don't think it's right necessarily to yell at you for for not getting involved. No. Parents, I don't know his I don't know your side. I only heard his. So he may have been completely tone deaf and it may have been completely rude, but the way he's presenting it I can totally see his side. I can. Now, there are tips to survive the holidays and you can Google them. And guess what? All of these will come up. And these are my three favorites. So here's the Dr. Daryl three tips on how to survive this holiday season. Number one is I want you to put the fun in dysfunctional. I really do. I want you to start to see your family almost as like characters in a play and just kind of what this kid did, right? Let it all unfold without you. Don't get involved. Don't take it personally. Address things if you need to address them, if you feel personally attacked or if you feel like this is the forum. But honestly, I would just see people as characters, let them do their dance. And if you feel strongly about it the next day, then maybe call them up and have a conversation. You don't need to do it right then and there. The next is boundaries. Have your boundaries. If you have a really expressive family about your love life or your career or your political status, have your boundaries ready to go. Things like, listen, I love you. Let's not talk politics right now. I'm really not trying to ruin this turkey. Like the turkey's dry enough. Let's not dry it out even more with this dry ass, dusty conversation. I think that having a boundary, sticking with it, And knowing what the consequences is the perfect trifecta for allowing yourself to be open to an experience, but feel safe that you have an escape route if you need it. Now, setting a boundary means you need to be fair to yourself and you need to be fair to the other people. And what I mean by that is you need to know where your line is, but you also need to know that other people might not know where that line is. So saying things like, I'm not talking politics today. And if they continue to want to talk politics or about your job or love life, giving them a warning of like, 
I really don't want to talk politics or my love life. If we continue to talk about it, I'm going to have to go sit over there with sleeping Uncle Fred. Like, I, I, I can't sit next to you anymore. Or I have to leave. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I think that it's a really great way. And there's a kind way to do it. There's a, like a, a light way to do it where you don't need to aggressively put people on notice. But you can put them on notice and saying things like, I just want to hear about you. Let's talk about, you know, what's going on in your life. I'm really trying not to focus too much on mine right now. I'm I'm trying to heal some of my own wounds. And I think the third thing is planning ahead. As an introvert, I always know when I'm leaving. I walk into an event and I say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so sorry we can't stay that long. We have a big day tomorrow. Like, that's just what I do to kind of get out of a situation. And then if I stay longer... It's amazing. Look at Daryl. She stayed. But if I don't want to be there, if I'm feeling like really emotionally low, I already have an out. So plan ahead. If you know that this is a really charged year to be at your house, if you know that this is something that maybe there's been fights between you and your siblings or you have a particular relative coming into town that you don't get along with, plan to have your escape. Not only plan to have your escape, but plan to maybe not drink. We know alcohol puts fuel on the fire with a lot of things. And one of the number one things I tell my clients is when you're entering in a really tense or high pressure situation, keep the alcohol out of it. Go home and have your drinks. But in that moment, especially if other people are going to be drinking, I would much rather you have your head on straight and allow you to escape that situation than sit in it and have your own belligerence be fuel to that fire. So plan it out. Plan out your arrival, plan out your exit. That might also help you survive this holiday season. Now, if you're stuck there, if you have to travel to go be with family, this plan could also look like we're staying with you one night, but then we're going to an Airbnb or we're actually going to drive back and do a, a, a trip back or you know, I think a hotel might be best. Um, if you don't have the means to do any of that, it might be planning your time back home a little bit sooner. But there's nothing wrong with a tense situation that you know is coming up to have some barriers in place. So you have your boundaries that are porous of sorts, right? You have boundaries that mean like we can have conversation about it and I can let you know where I stand and I can hear your side. But sometimes plans are not as porous. They are boundaries. They are, they, sorry, they are barriers of like, my flight leaves at four. So I need to go. Um, we have reservations here. Or I'm bringing this person because they're my emotional support person. Oh, obviously clear it and make sure that's okay. But those types of plans can help alleviate some anxiety. And I suppose for a little bonus, you know, if I were to put a bonus number four on there of how to survive the holidays, try to find the joy. Try to remember what it's all about. This guy gave a great example of being with family, spending time with them, having conversations with the people who aren't involved in the drama and allowing yourself to engage fully in being a part of the goodness of, of the event, of the time and remembering what the holiday is all about. I think people lose sight of why we get together and we try just to get through it. But I do believe as corny as it sounds and as touchy-feely as it is, that if we can reframe it and extract the joy and recognize like, we're lucky that all these people are here right now. Like we've lost a lot of people in the last couple of years for one reason or another. They may not be here next year. And how to embrace in that mentality 
and truly lean into the gratitude side of things without losing sight of, you know, having your boundaries, having your barriers and being sure that you are able to protect yourself in, in a hostile environment. All that to say, have a very, very happy Thanksgiving and we will talk soon. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hosted on dimlywit.com.